Bienvenidos. Welcome to the Conversations with Ilan Stavans podcast. My guest today is Grammy Award winner Lila Downs. When I was growing up in Mexico in the 60s and in the 70s, I don't remember hearing any singer um, using Nahuatl or Mixteca or any other one of the Aboriginal languages in popular songs or listening to those songs in the radio. And it seems to me that recently there is a, a growing wave mm -hmm. uh, of which you are probably one of the most prominent uh, figures to incorporate those those marginal languages. How do you explain that that kind of change of atmosphere yeah, in Mexico? It's, well, it's an interesting thing. I think uh, we started working the clubs um, about 13 years ago, and I noticed that, you know, with people smoking cigarettes and drinking and having pizza, <laughs> they would ask for these traditional songs like La Llorona, The yeah. Weeping Woman, or La Sandunga, or Naila, pero, but they wanted it to be sung in Zapotec, or um, uh, these different songs that I grew up singing, they would ask uh, for me to sing, and this was, it became surprising to you? very surprising, yes. I was singing jazz standards, mm -hmm. and also I was singing uh, traditional uh, ranchera songs, yeah. uh, you know, more nationalistic kind of uh, music that yeah. we call rancheras. And, uh, and in the middle, I was singing these songs, and they were definitely the ones that, oh, people would just go crazy over. I think it's a combination also of the movement, the Zapatista movement, that made um, a lot of people in Chiapas, uh, made a lot of people really turn their head to, to a situation that we are living in Mexico that goes way back to col colonial times. And, and is this, uh, in your eyes, part of... Uh of a dramatic change in the way Mexicans see themselves, recovering a, a lost memory, or yes. is it al only a trend, a fashion that will disappear? Well, I guess uh, pe people who want to be in fashion are going to be in fashion, or they're going to be concerned with those things. There's always the people that are concerned with scratching the surface, finding yeah. out more about things, and there are people who will just see it as passing trend, but I think that um, there are a lot of younger people that are quite interested in uh, exploring their Indian identity or their roots um, because there has been so much denial of our roots in our history, in our recent history. And, uh, and I think, of course, great artists that um, artists and enforcers of education in the 50s, 40s and 50s, created kind of a revolution mm -hmm. uh, that we look back to and we remember and we are nostalgic for, I think. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, it's very positive for us, of course. Part of we your childhood was, uh, was spent in, uh, in adolescence, I understand, was spent in Minnesota, mm -hmm. uh, where your father lived. Mm -hmm. um, was that difficult for you to come half, I don't know if it was half the year or part of the year north and live in, a, in an Anglo environment and eat different food and read different things and hear different music? Um, to what extent that was a, a decisive element mm -hmm. in the way you are? Oh my, I think um, growing up in, in a very, um, what would it be, in this northern society, of containment mm -hmm. and of control was something very instrumental in what I chose to do later on in my life because uh, I wanted to explore all those things that I was somehow socially not able to do. Mm -hmm. So 
it has so much to do with, I used to bleach my hair blonde and it has to do with me growing out my hair black and um, celebrating my culture and the roots of a tradition that I, I wasn't so easily allowed to express myself mm -hmm. about in, in Minnesota, I felt. Um, and so now when I go back, we just recently went back to, to Minnesota and I find that yes, that, that's where that comes from. It's mm -hmm. this cultural kind of a, um, you know, internal thing that mm -hmm. is, is uh, quite, quite interesting. <laughs> and by interesting you mean sometimes difficult to... Difficult, I yeah. think, yeah. You went to college in Minnesota. I went to college there, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And were you thinking of becoming an opera singer at, that, at some was, point? I was, yeah. That's, it sounds very interesting, you use that word. <laughs> Were you really considering becoming Oh, yeah, opera? yeah. Mm -hmm, you, yeah. you like opera? I, I did. I mean, I, I do. Mm -hmm. I do love opera. And Would you? I, I, I loved it because I just love to sing. Yeah. I, I really do love to sing. And I, um, you know, did a competition. I did the regional Metropolitan Opera competitions. I mm -hmm. got to that point. And then... I changed and I, I looked for my roots and I did anthropology, yeah. I did weaving. I uh, All, Also in, at the University of Minnesota? Yes, yes. I did weaving in Mexico. I studied it in a community, the Triqui community mm -hmm. in Mexico, uh, which is uh, one of many groups in Mexico. And I discovered uh, language and art mm -hmm. again in a different way that I hadn't understood when I was studying classical music mm -hmm. um, because it's kind of like it's all created there for you and uh, you are not to create language in the same way that you are I think you know more freely in in other forms of, of Would art. Would you still consider doing opera today? Um, I have been curious about it mm -hmm. yeah I don't know if um, you know vocally I think I would have to work a mm -hmm. little hard on it and I don't know <laughs> if I'm willing to do that for a while. <laughs> I also yet. understand that at one point you uh, were a passionate uh, Grateful Dead uh, <laughs> follower and became a deadhead and traveled around. Tell me about those years or months or that period of your life. Well, you know, I guess it's kind of that dropout kind of thing that you have to go through in life and kind of for me it was dropping out of you know, order and uh, this classical kind of uh, upbringing was very uh, restraining. And I just, I wanted to go out there and see what else there was and just let let live, live and let live and, you know. Um, did you actually go to the concerts, enter the concerts? I never, you know, I never really did. <laughs> so you were a deadhead but never really... I was just really hanging out hanging in the, in the, the peripheries. peripheries. Yeah, yeah. What would you do? Uh, uh, made jewelry, yeah. sold jewelry, and uh, did some other interesting things. <laughs> hey, when did you, you, you said that you love, and it's obvious from your songs that you love singing, when did you start singing? Was it as a little girl? Oh, yeah. According to my mother, since I was five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, did that, did that uh, lead you to the passion for jazz that you were expressing before? Um, yeah, show me the roots. I think uh, what happened is my father was a, a lover of uh, jazz, of uh, Thelonious Monk and mm -hmm. um, John Coltrane. And uh, I remember listening to Ella Fitzgerald since I was very, very young. So that was a strong influence. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I think uh, it wasn't until I met Paul Cohen, my partner and musical director and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, love, uh, I, I think that I didn't really realize that I could take it and kind of make it my own and uh, use this context to say what I wanted mm -hmm. to say. Si llego a caer en el norte, que mande mi cuerpo en su honor. Si llego a caer en el norte, que mande mi cuerpo Join us next time for a conversation with photographer and MacArthur Foundation Genius Award recipient, Camilo José Vergara. Hasta la próxima. <laughs>